John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to be picking up at verse 46 to the end of the chapter. I'm going to share along the lines of faith for your family. Now, that wouldn't be necessarily uh, preaching right of the fathers today. Come as a family. Of course, dad plays a big part in that, doesn't he? John chapter 4, let's begin at verse 46. So Jesus came again to the Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And he heard that Jesus had come out of Galilee, out of Judea into Galilee. He went to him and implored him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. As he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And he inquired of them the hour that he got better. And they said, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same time and hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again was the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word today that's before us. And again, we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to speak through us to this people and to every heart. I pray that you challenge us together that we would have faith for our families. That, Lord Jesus, you would be lifted up. So bless, we pray this morning, everyone here in attendance. And those that would like to have been here and cannot, be with them where they are as well. We love you, Lord. We want to thank you for all you need to us. And we live to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' worthy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we begin today, I have two questions that I would like you to think about and to ponder. First, what would you say is the most valuable possession that you have here on earth. And then secondly, is there any earthly possession that you will be able to take along with you to heaven? You can answer both of those questions with the same answer. It's your family. It's your family. 
Thank God for family. We're enjoying having our daughter and some of our grandchildren with us here today. You know, when they lived in Tennessee, we saw them about twice a year. And now we're seeing a whole lot more of them. And I said, I'm still not used to this. We love family, don't we? And I thought when this group was singing out here, these young, I'll call them young people, young people, that you parents that are here think you're mighty proud, right? And you can be proud. Yes, family should be important to every one of us. In every culture, it is the basic building block of humanity. Now, families come to us in various sizes, shapes, and number. I had to think of Dan Bird. I was hoping he could have been here today. He comes from a family of 17 children. I read Betty's lips. Oh, my word. <laughs> and he tells me he's the eldest of that family. 17. My wife, yes, that's what he told me here. Yeah. You asked me. Now, my wife comes from a family of two children. That's quite a difference. There are families, it's just a husband and a wife. And then there are those single ones that their families consist of, of brothers and sisters, mom and dad, nieces and nephews. It's still family. And family means so much to us. It should be our number one priority. When we go back to the Bible, back to Genesis, the first book, we are given an account of the very first thing that God created. He had a purpose in doing this. He created Adam and Eve, instructed our first parents to go and be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with people. What a promise that he gave them there in the garden. What a beautiful home he provided. You know the story. Sin entered the picture when they were deceived by Satan. And their disobedience has affected every one of us. It's ongoing. And so it's no different today, by the way. When there's sin in a family, the entire household is affected. In Genesis 4, verse 17, the Bible tells us that a family built the first city. It says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Then when we go to Genesis 17, 4, God calls a special people, the Jewish race. There he begins to talk with Abraham. By the way, come to Bible school, you're going to hear about Abraham. And some more, I'm sure. That's all I'll say. But this is what he said. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. God did it through a family. God always places special emphasis, a special blessing on families that follow him. Centuries later, God designed that Jesus, his only begotten son, would be born into a family when he came to earth the first time. You know, Jesus was raised in a carpenter's home. I always thought about those carpenters, but that's something special there to know that Jesus' father was a carpenter. And he was in subjection to his mother Mary, his father Joseph. He had brothers and sisters. 
When Jesus turned 30, he began his ministry. Never was married, but he still had family. He had brothers and sisters, his parents. You can read about it in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, and also Mark 6, verse 3. Even at his death, he remembered his mother, didn't he? Looking down over the cross, he looked at John, the beloved disciple, and he says, John, behold your mother. And the scripture tells us that from that hour, he took her home to be his mother. Many were his followers that had families. One very prominent one, one of the first to believe was the family of Zebudee. Are there any Zebudees here today? It's a name you don't hear very often. Whoever this man was, he gave to the early church two great leaders, James the overseer and John the beloved disciple. Scripture tells us that John was so close to Jesus that the night of the Last Supper, he leaned upon Jesus' breast. And I'd like to think he heard the heartbeat of God. Matthew 27, verse 56, we read of the crucifixion, uh, that the wife of Zebedee was one of the women that stood by the cross. And then there was another family that lived in a little town of Bethany. They were very close friends with Jesus, often shared fellowship meals with him. And I'm sure you guessed it by now. It was the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And did you think about it? There's no parents mentioned there. So apparently the parents had moved on to heaven. And here were two, two sisters and a brother living together. That was family. And his very own disciples were truly a brotherhood, I believe, a team. Yes, I think we could say family. James and John were brothers. Philip and Nathaniel were brothers, according to tradition. And another, James, was the half-brother of Jesus himself. And that James became the first presiding elder of the New Testament church. Then later in Acts, Acts chapter 10, we read of, of Peter going down to Cornelius' house, his family, and sharing with them and preaching and and God came upon the scene, and that family believed in Cornelius. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he gave praise, and Scripture says the family, the household, believed. And then in Acts 16, we read of a prominent businesswoman by the name of Lydia, accepting the Lord as her Savior. She boldly proclaimed her Christian faith, brought her family to where they were meeting in worship, and this is what she said. When she and her household were baptized, she begged them, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she constrained us. Well, now I call your attention to the scripture lesson before us. I trust that each of us will be encouraged for our families as we read together this account. The story is about a nobleman, a royal official, who had faith for his family. Notice the kind of believing faith that this man had. I believe we can say that he had a crisis of faith. You know, when crisis comes into our lives, so often that brings us to our knees and we come to God in prayer, our faith can actually be shaken at times like that. The 
Praise God, we may have more faith than we think we have. I think that's what happened here. We believe in God, and He comes to our rescue. We can depend on Him to be with us in that hour of need. Amen? A little bit weak. Let's try that again. Amen? Amen. All right, it's more like it. Now you're awake, okay? If we knew what was ahead of us or what was coming, we may falter and wonder, is my faith strong enough? But aren't you glad you don't know what's into the tomorrows? But we do know the one who holds the tomorrows. That's good enough for me. I heard about a story of a woman who jumped from a burning building to safety. A reporter questioned her and asked her, I don't see how you can be brave enough to jump out of that high window. Brave? She replied, me? Brave? There was no other way to get out. You know, sometimes there's nothing else to do. We need to jump into the arms of Jesus for God alone can reach our families as well as our own needs. He comes through answers to prayer through divine intervention. Praise his name. I do believe that God allows crisis to come in life's path and we grow closer to God. What would it be like if everything was just good all the time? Would we continue to depend on God or would we say, well, I'm going to do a good job as a dad <coughs> or whatever no, our, strength, our faith needs to be strengthened, and that often happens when we're tested and tried. Isn't it a comfort to know that God doesn't rebuke us when we come to Him those times of need? He doesn't turn us away. No matter what the situation may be, it's our faith that carries us through. So then we need to thank God for the faith He's given and He's put within us to simply trust Him. And so, Christ's faith, secondly, I think, carries us on then to a continuing faith. There are verses 47 through 49. This nobleman lived in the city of Capernaum, had a son who was seriously ill, in fact, at the point of death. And the nobleman had found Jesus because he inquired about where this Jesus was. I'm sure that in that, that time all across the land, people knew who Jesus was. And so he came to him, heard that he came out of Judea into Galilee. I would like to think in my mind he looked for a crowd because there's where Jesus would be. And when he found him, he begged and he pleaded, please come to my home. My son's dying. Come, you can heal him and spare his life. But did you notice verse 48? What did Jesus say to him? Then Jesus said unto him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Well, I, I read those words, it's almost like, is, is he really putting him off or, or rejecting him? You know, the nobleman refuses to be embarrassed or put off in any way. He doesn't give up his urgent request. In verse 49, he continues to plead, Jesus, come, come, we need you. Friends, this morning, faith must be persistent. 
especially when it comes to the faith for our families. Incidents may happen that tend to discourage, make us even sometimes lose focus, easy to lose heart. But friends, we know that God is not honored when we give up and turn away, but faith has to keep on asking. It has to, must be seeking, and most of all, faith is to keep on believing. Well, thirdly, continuing faith then becomes a confident faith. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went away. Now he could have said, Oh, no, no, I want you to come with me. I, I want to make sure. He didn't. He believed the word and went on his way. We need to make that personal and ask ourselves, what about me today? Do I believe God's word fully, then go on my way rejoicing? Or do I fret and worry and get into a stew about things? I've been told this, to worry is to doubt God's ability to help in our time of need. Let me repeat that. To worry is to doubt God's ability to help in our time of need. So how do we react? Is it why worry when you can pray? Or is it why pray when you can worry? A number of years ago, I preached a message entitled Why Pray When You Can Worry. And I tell you, the people really wonder what I was going to say. Are we believing God or are we not? That's what it comes down to. Only you can answer that out of your heart. Now, please understand, I, I understand, I know that. Worry can really be real, and it, it's probably harder for some than others. Our personalities are so different. I jokingly say that my wife does our worry because she takes care of that, but I don't have to. But I guess I'm one of those, I don't know, I guess I've been trying to describe myself saying, you tell me after truth what I am. I know my wife way off. <laughs> well, I'm got it. Oh, but God knows us. He's our creator. He made us. He desires to bring peace to our hearts and minds and to give us rest. If I can't truly believe God for a given situation, it's out of my hand, there's nothing I can do about it, then I believe I'm actually limiting God and his power to work in my life in that situation. I love the word there from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am not. How do we just have to sit back and those words sit in? Also, like the words of the Apostle Paul that are found in Colossians 3 15 through 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word and deed, you all, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Let's take Paul's advice, what do you say? And let's sing a song, read scripture verse, pray the next time we feel Satan coming around and trying to sit on our shoulder. He tries to bring doubts, he tries to bring depression, unbelief, to worry our hearts. Oh, friends, let's set him on his way by giving thanks for what we know is true. We're on the Lord's side this morning, and he's on our side. Amen? Praise the Lord. This is what Paul talks to, the, tells the Philippian church in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Friends, if you, if you have trouble this morning with word, you need to underline that verse in your Bible. Better yet, get it memorized in your head and into your heart. Read it often. Because as we memorize scripture, those are tools that the Holy Spirit can use to bring good thoughts, good verses to our minds in those times of need. Satan hates truth. He does not like truth. And recalling scripture is a good way to get him on his brain. Well, don't stop there. Verse 5, 1 to verse 6 is another good verse to know. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Powerful, powerful words. What a promise. Let's lay hold and claim that near to your heart. And that's the way that we receive his peace and keep it. It's God's word. It's a defense for us against that enemy. And believe me, we have one, don't we? He's fighting everyone. Get the word in you. And that's a defense. Keep your heart and soul. A confident saying that I heard is this. I believe God can, he will, and he has done it for us. You believe that? trust them. Taking God's word and living it. No, we don't always understand everything. I've been pastoring for 25 years and I still learn so much. As I get into the word, I'm sure it's the same for you. But we can and we must believe his word. The theme is, is repeated over and over throughout the scriptures. Faith builds your confidence in an unbelievable and incredible way. Confident faith then becomes a confirming faith. Look there, verses 51 through 54. The noble and believed, he, he went home believing. Even before he arrived, he knew that God was doing something. Can you imagine in your mind's eye as he's coming down the road, servants are out front looking for him, and they come running to him. Your son lives. When, when, when did it happen? Well, such and such an hour. That's when Jesus said those words to me. Wow! The whole family believed and rejoiced. 
Your son lives. Praise God for answered prayer. And so, a confirming faith becomes a contagious faith. Others see how excited you are about Jesus, and they're going to wonder what's going on, and they want to hear about it. Verse 53 says, The nobleman believed and his whole household with him. His faith was contagious. Is yours? Is mine? I trust so. Be quick to testify, share answers to prayer with others so that their faith can be encouraged and strengthened. God, forgive us for those times that we're so quick to share our troubles. Slow to tell the answers to prayer. That's an area we can check ourselves on. What would I rather talk about? The good things that God is doing or be miserable and talk about the terrible things I'm afraid are going to happen? Pretty soon we realize, uh-oh, maybe I'm on the wrong side of things here. I need to come over here and be more positive rather than to be so much in the negative. Conclusion, this account should encourage us in several ways, and I listed five here. No crisis will ever come to us that God isn't interested in. Do you believe he cares for you? Yes. Sickness, death, loss of a job, career decisions, or getting old. We're all getting old, aren't we? There's nothing that God is not concerned about in your life and in my life. That encourages me. Number two, you can believe for your family. Have faith for family members, faith for their salvation. Healing, deliverance for their well-being. You can hold on when the answer comes. I'm sure you heard me say this before, but I think it bears repeating. Faith and I held on for our eldest son for 20 years, praying for him. Now, today, we don't live back in those 20 years, all that heartache and pain we experienced. We live in the, the excitement and rejoicing with our son that Jesus is helping him today. Let all that under the blood its past. Let's rejoice in what God has done. Praise the Lord. Third, God never overrules the individual's free will of a person. He never forces you to make a choice, or I should say the right choice. Well, well, nevertheless, he's going to continue to work with you to win your heart, the devotion of your loved ones. Number four, sometimes you must accept the answer before you can visualize it. Have you ever been there? I have many times. And number five, God doesn't give up. And neither should we. Keep praying for that family of yours, that individual, the one that is not where they should be today. And then when they come to Christ, then rejoice, rejoice. Let's go from this place this morning, believing God for our families. What do you say? I remember that old country song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? It was sung by Johnny Cash and Randy Travis, and I pulled it up on my computer and enjoyed it another time. But may we as families, may our prayer be that someday we'll be a circle unbroken. Around his throat. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Let's stand together.